Hello and welcome to Not Your Basic Influencers. We're two licensed mental health professionals influencing you on the shit that matters most. This podcast is in partnership with Dive Through, a mental wellness company that helps you dive through what you go through. Let's jump in. Welcome back. Today we are chatting with Lauren Ruth Martin. Lauren is a licensed therapist that practices right outside of Nashville. She is a self-proclaimed woo girl gone mild who wants to add a little glitter to everyone's lives. And she does just that. She specializes in perfectionism, treatment resistant depression, anxiety, and eating disorders. And she really speaks to the experiences of folks who struggle with anxiety and intrusive thoughts. If you've ever had a difficult time really coping with those thoughts that just you know, are constantly cycling in your head, this episode is for you. She shares her own experiences and some of the techniques and tools that she uses with her clients, as well as those that she uses personally. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you for joining us today, Lauren. We are super excited to have you and all your expertise and y'all, y'alls. Oh, so many y'alls are going to happen. I forget that y'all aren't, y'all aren't used to (laughs) y'all. I love it. So we like to start with like a quick 60 second check-in, um, basically just asking you two quick questions. So what is something that you're feeling grateful for and something weighing heavy on you right now? One thing that I am grateful for is the warmer weather because I mean, y'all are in California, right? Yeah. I was going to say what's warmer to you. (laughs) Well, it's technically spring here, but it's a solid 70 degrees today. That's good, but it's going to be 30 tonight. No, thank you. And then we'll go back to 50 tomorrow. And then probably in about a month, we'll start getting into the 80s, 90s, that deal. But just being able to be outside longer is a game changer for my mood. So super grateful for that. And then a thing that's swaying on me heavily, I was about to say heavenly, um, (laughs) is... I mean, I think I'm not ready to human, honestly. I've enjoyed, I miss people, like my people, but I am not ready to have my time dictated by other things. Yeah. I mean, I'm a therapist that tries to like teach people to be more flexible and I'm realizing that I really liked having control over my whole schedule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I don't have it. Yeah. It's a weird adjustment. It's like exciting. But I'm also, I, I don't know if you all experience this, but like after like the lockdown, like as I was seeing people and like actually hanging out with people like outdoors, I remember one of my friends, I was like, how do I have a conversation? Like, how are you? Like it felt very, it felt very like awkward and like, how do I people? And she's a close friend, but I was just like, like, I just remember being like, okay, and what happened? <laughs> like, I just felt very like, well, how do we do this? I can't, it was very weird. And how are you such a loaded question nowadays? Because especially where it's exciting, we're getting vaccines, we're getting to like step back into the world, but so much was stuff that we already knew was happening, but now is in the mainstream of like, well, what's going to happen today or what, Mm -hmm. you know, so how do you wrestle with like the excitement of life having a degree of normalcy, but also not going back to just having rose colored glasses. I think that's a hard adjustment too. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I agree. And Leah, just to like second what you said, I think it's the interesting part is like when you don't have a mask on around people, it just feels like, I'm like, Oh gosh, I feel naked. Like around people that you're so used to wearing it, you know, like I forgot to wear one into a Starbucks the other day and I was like, 
covering my face with my jacket. And I'm like, do you have a mask? But I felt like naked. <laughs> I've talked to a couple people and they're like, I, like when you see people you've never met without a mask on, wait, with a mask. Yes. Without a mask on. And then you see them and you're like, who, who the hell are you? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Like it's very, it's, it's, it's fucking surreal experience. <laughs> this is all been, it's very wild. Um, well on that note, and as you share like a little bit about not ready to be human and I love you because you're just so, I love all the dancing. It's just all your content. No, I love it. Cause it's very, you, you could tell it like, it's just so fun. And so we see that, but like, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal experiences, maybe with intrusive thoughts and yeah. anxiety? Cause it's a lot of your work. Yeah. So a lot of what I do is like around, and when I say like chronic depression, if we think about this, is like where I put on my like DSM nerd hat for a second, but I love working with like treatment resistant depression. Cause it's that blend of depression and anxiety, like where the depression is more of a byproduct of constantly living between your two ears. And I resonate with that personally because um, I was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, but I had that all through my life, but I was just hyper, you know, so I got kicked out of ballet class and they put me in gymnastics and gymnastics and perfectionism. And y'all might see, I got posted on my stories today, like how they critique everything. And if we think about just like that history with like intrusive thoughts and I, I just remember feeling like I had a whole other world inside of my head and being, I was just, I did not understand anything. And then not having impulse control, I would just spit it out. And I was like, that's what everybody's thinking. Right. And like they were, but they knew how to edit. Um, so all of that combined, yeah, they had a filter. Um, so I learned to filter, but then I almost like overcorrected and didn't, and just kept everything within. So if we think about like my personal history with intrusive thoughts, it's more of like that discerning, again, that flexible and gray place. And what I love about where things have evolved is that as I'm 35 and so mental health, like was a, I remember trying to bring up to my family, like, Hey, I think I'm depressed. And they're like, you're not depressed. You're just ungrateful. Like, thanks mom. I give her grief about that every day. Um, but the fact that like people now have a language for it and we're also normalizing the language of like, Hey, that's an intrusive thought or you're not crazy. Like it's just a response to something. I just felt it was awful, honestly, because it's like a running narrative that's going Mm -hmm. on that feels so real, but it doesn't match reality. Um, and that's like mm-hmm. what reinforces my perfectionism. Even now I have to discern what's, what's going on in my head and like, what's, what, what are others perceiving, you know? Well, yeah. And how, I guess like scary that had to be, and then like trying to navigate that with no context of what that is. And then mm-hmm. when you, like you said, you speak, you spoke up to the people you trusted and loved about, Hey, I think something's not right here. And then to be put back in this place of like, okay, no, nothing's wrong with me. I'm just not grateful. Like that had to be probably really difficult to like navigate. And like you said, thankfully we have now all this information and like social media and different places to access things where like, are you experiencing blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh shit, I'm experiencing intrusive thoughts. I didn't know there was a name for what I was experiencing, you know? Yeah. 
And if you think everybody thinks that intrusive thoughts are directly related with OCD, but they're not like anxiety, intrusive thoughts and ADHD are so common because again, that impulse control thing and trying to believe, discern what's real or what's not like intrusive thoughts just aren't in they go across the like the spectrum of diagnoses, but also just in everyday life. I tell people, I'm like, if you actually tuned into every thought that, and you acted upon every thought that you had, we would all be like in jail, you know, because <laughs> like, we think some fucked up stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that's that whole thing of like becoming acquainted with your mind, getting comfortable with your mind. Um, not working against your brain as much because it's not our brains aren't dumb you know I say they're like chocolate labs like they can like do fantastic things but they're also a little derpy if you've ever been with like a purebred chocolate lab like you know what that's like <laughs> with anxiety it's so like physiological I don't think people understand that so that's the part where and I've talked about this before where CBT for me doesn't work because it mm-hmm. feels so real like the feeling and the panic connected to the thought. It's like, how can we not just, it's hard to dispute the thought, even though logically you can, you're like, but it feels like clearly I'm experiencing fear for a reason. So it's like, so I must be, you know, whatever, like whatever thought I'm having, like, you know, I must be really annoying. And this is why my friend hasn't texted back like in five minutes. Right? So I'm thinking about those bubble things. If those bubble things existed when I was in high school, I would have been, I wouldn't be here at this point. Like I would have imploded. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the bubble and the text messages. Like oh, when you see that they're yes. now those, those bubble things, the, the, I forget what they're called. Bubble pop my, things. Yeah. My kid got one from my, from his uncle. So from my brother-in-law and I took it from my kid and I was like, this is amazing. Oh yeah. If it wasn't noisy, I would be sitting here doing it right now, but it's kind of like, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> no. And I'm curious because I'm sure a lot of people that will be listening to this will wonder like, well, what exactly are intrusive thoughts? And like, are the thoughts that I have, is that considered intrusive? So Lauren, can you share maybe like some examples of intrusive thoughts that you've experienced? Absolutely. And um, to, to go with what Leah was saying about CBT, I love it because we're all like, it. there's, there's a time and a place for CBT and ERP is great. I'm much in, in the other camp of like mindfulness based. And that's why I hated CBT because like, ugh, it, it invalidates like that physical experience and it doesn't address that. Yeah. And also some of our thoughts do are bringing value. So if we think about the intrusive thoughts, and this is just like my personal experience when it comes to intrusive thoughts. Um, a lot of mine is like the, you're not good enough or like, that's not good enough. That's just like a common running sort of chitter chatter mm-hmm. in my head. Mm-hmm. But if we think about just like the range of what some intrusive people with intrusive thoughts experience, I mean, it could range from anything. Cause like some people get like really graphic, like mental image flashes of really disturbing content. And it's, it just happens, mm-hmm. you know? And then, um, for some people it's intrusive thoughts related to moments in time. Like I will never forget. So if we think about big T trauma and little T trauma, that running narrative of things that I experienced, they were all around like relationships and that like, they're gonna, they're gonna get you or like, they're, they're out to get you. 
like that sort of competitive nature. So if y'all think about what I was talking about with gymnastics, like that was yeah. always a thing of like, they're going to take your spot. So intrusive thoughts can be connected to life experiences. That's what my history personally with it has been um, of like, you're, this isn't good enough. You're not good enough. They're going to take your spot. You know, like the, you're so annoying. I will probably have like a little bout of intrusive thoughts when we're done with this around what I did to annoy y'all and <laughs> that this podcast is going to be horrible and they're going to be so embarrassed that they <laughs> did that. But you know, it, that intrusive thoughts can look like that. Um, or it can be content, just mental. I like to call intrusive thoughts, just mental content, either related to a trigger or that just occur in the brain. And if we look at that and content that we take in, we take in so much content just existing as humans, not just through our phones and through media, but it, right now you and I talking to each other, there's visual content, there's um, audible content, there's what's, there's what we're feeling, there's the internal sort of like inner workings and all of that too can be intrusive thoughts. Like if you have health related anxiety and you feel a pain in your ear, mm -hmm. that can then be, Oh, what's that? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, then, it, so I, then you're like hypersensitive to it. And so then the intrusive thoughts like reinforce that it's there, right? Yeah. It's still there. It's so, still there. Maybe it's a ladder. Cause you're very like hyper-focused on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm glad you said it's based on experience. Cause I think sometimes, especially I would go with like trauma, like the intrusive thoughts of like, I can't trust anyone or like, they're probably going to screw me over or like whatever it is. It's, I think sometimes it's like mistaken as delusions, but it's like, yeah. it's not, or paranoia. It's like, I mean, there's, there's like a threshold, right. But it's, it's based in someone's lived experience. How can we really, argue that that's not a reasonable fear, especially in a time like a pandemic, right? Like how is yeah. therapists, we've talked this a few times, like there's only so much we can say. We can't be like, you won't get COVID-19. We can't say that. No. That's like, that. that's a rational fear. It can be like intrusive and like overwhelming, but it's like hard to, you can't, you can't, there's no CBT outing, uh, CBT really like, I mean, aside from just saying like, I'm taking all the precautions, but like, there's really no, right. Like a, yeah. a reframe for like the possibility of you know, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's what I love about ACT and like mindfulness-based therapies because you're, you can, and this is in standard DBT, you can allow yourself to go there with coping ahead. And my clients think that I am crazy. And my husband actually thinks that I'm crazy too, because <laughs> I am so quick to go to the worst case scenario. But then what happens is that a lot of us with intrusive thoughts, we go to that worst case scenario and then our life goes blank. But the idea of coping ahead is imagining that worst case scenario, like getting COVID, but then going a step further. Okay. So if I get COVID, I might get sick. I may have to go to the hospital. I may have like, I may have a lot of medical trauma happen then at some point, God willing, I would come out and I would, I would learn how to navigate. I would still have a full life, even with that experience. Yeah. And my husband thinks that I'm so doom and gloom, but I'm like, it's either that thought's going to ping pong and, and exist in my head, or I can just roll with it and see what information it's giving me. Cause it might be signaling something to me that is important. It's just coming up in a really jacked up way. Yeah. And I also need to see that I'm capable of it. Like if the worst thing happens, like Henry, that's my husband saying, if you get hit by a bus, like I can visualize <laughs> a life without you, that would be sad as hell. But I at least know that like my life wouldn't stop there. Yeah. 
Well, are you one of those hypothetical question partners? You're like, what if? Oh, like absolutely. I love that. I mean, I don't know. I think because <laughs> I guess I'm with things. Anxiety too. Like, yeah. Like, what if this person gets hit by a car? Like, then what will happen? How will I know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so if you can imagine the first year of like having a child when I was like not really confident in my own parenting <laughs> to begin with, I imagine so. My my kid went through so many scenarios mentally, um, but I was that, able to navigate it. That's what I was going to ask you too, actually, because. I didn't, I don't know if I would have even known to have called it that like postpartum after having my kids, but experiencing intrusive thoughts. Um, and I had a friend reach out recently who was like asking me about it because she just had um, her second baby and experienced a lot of intrusive thoughts after the first. And nobody tells you that, like nobody goes through that with you. And, and I think like you just said is sometimes I don't know, in traditional therapy or like even just a friend, right? You're trying to help somebody that's thinking, well, what if this happens? And they instantly want to pull you away from the even possibility. And you're like, no, but it is possible. And so mm-hmm. I'm with you on the thought of like, no, I want to address, I want to know that like, if worst case scenario happens, like, yeah, I can imagine getting through it, what that might be like. And then if mm-hmm. it does happen, I feel a little more prepared, right? Like, yeah. But we're like, we're like having an element of control yeah. in some capacity. Yes. Like we have a will for our, right. <laughs> for right. our... but I'm just thinking, uh, I just imagined all of us sitting at a bar, having drinks with people that aren't therapists and everybody's trying to like console them and like encourage them, you know, Oh no, they're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And we're like, but it's and, possible. <laughs> and it's possible. It's and you're gonna be okay. Yep. Yep. And well, I love that. Maybe one day we will be at a bar. (laughs) Just like three mimosas in it, then it's like not as compassionate. It's like, but it's possible. Like, Mm -hmm. just like no tact. I was going to ask too, how does your partner, like, as like you said, he kind of, he, uh, what is it? Doom and gloom? Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. gloom. (laughs) These expressions I'm terrible with, but um, how does he as a partner, like, how has he come to understand your anxiety, your intrusive thoughts? I think a lot of people have a hard time with their partners or even just friends understanding what they're going through. How has that been for you in in the relationship and marriage? I've trained him well. One, anybody that thinks that like I tell my clients, I tell people like, it's okay to train your friends. It's okay to train your partners to meet you on your terms. I think that's like a big myth that when we get to know people, we should anticipate their every need and we should know. And it's great to collect data on our people. Like if I know that my friend likes the Real Housewives, like I'm gonna send her Real Housewives memes. You know, if my my partner is a Manchester United fan, so I'm like, oh, did you hear about this? You know, like it's great to collect data. And at the same time, we're responsible for telling our people what this means to us because we all have bias we all have bias Mm -hmm. and like my my partner's bias is you're being really doom and gloom and I can validate that and be like from your perspective I can totally see that and I see where my my thoughts are not rooted in reality and like just roll with me here I usually say that a lot like just roll with me here I'm just gonna sit in this for a moment and if I'm on this for like a, a lot longer then you can stop me but just give me a minute let my brain go there, let it complete its cycle and naturally like balance itself out. And I'm going to be able to move on. So Mm -hmm. basically trained him and he'll, (laughs) I trained him because now he goes, is this how you really feel? Or is this like an exaggeration? 
like, and he's not asking if I'm crazy. He's just asking, is this how you really, do, is this a reality statement or is this you? Like a reaction? Worst, yeah. And your worst case scenario. So having that scaling too of, you know, I genuinely believe my car is going to blow up because it's making this noise versus my car is fine. I just had the thought, my car is going to blow right. up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it really comes back to like, you're meeting yourself where you're at, right? Like, yeah. And I like that. And I don't think people are used to hearing this side of like how to address these types of things because again, with CBT, I feel like there's so much push of like, okay, recognize this as faulty thinking and let's like shift how we think about it. And then you won't experience that anymore. And I know that ever again, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but obviously that's not how it works. And like, but are you exaggerating? Because right? that's kind of how it feels. That's what the worksheet says. <laughs> that's what the worksheets tell you. That's what grad school taught me. Yeah. Same. I know they make it seem so simple and then it just feels so invalidating sometimes. Yeah. Like sometimes we need to just, and well, and I think what I like that you're doing with your husband is, is not like you, when you give him either situations or scenarios, he's able to kind of know how to, like what to do. So he knows yeah. his next move. And also I just feel like, I don't know if I just feel like in general, it's just good when our partners or like just friends even like, no, we don't need a solution right now. Like that's the thing, especially with partners. And I don't want to say it's all men cause it's not, and it's women too, but like right. generally a lot of men want to like solve. They don't like seeing people in distress. This is what I hear time and time again with clients mm-hmm. and friends, like, which just like solution focus. Like, let's just find the solution. But it's like, if I need to like, if you need to like, if I guess it's a role with me, like if yes. you need that, just say it. And like, eventually they'll, they'll, they'll be on board, but you right. You have to teach it. Like you can't expect them to have that response. Right. When I taught my mom that it was a game changer. Cause she wanted to fix everything. And I was like, mom, I just want to vent. And then she finally started giving me feedback of it's hard for me to hear you vent because I worry about you. And I was like, great. Like let's meet each other where we are. And I think that, that exchanging of knowing your needs. So many people don't know what they really need at the moment or know because they're scared. Like at least you said it to meet us where we're at. I think a lot of us are scared to meet ourselves where we're at because we're fear. We're so scared of being judged. We're scared of thinking that we're crazy, but that's what context is all about. Right. Yeah. Like what my baseline is for me may be totally different from y'all. And it doesn't mean that I'm not functioning. Right. 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 And so having that context and then cluing people in on context, it's that lack of clarity that jacks up for friendships. It, um, it fucks with relationships. It creates unfair power dynamics. If you think about it of like either far too much dependency or far too much um, separation. And so that idea of increasing appropriate disclosure Mm-hmm. If we think like, because validation isn't necessarily always affirming. If you think about validation being, um, I used to work in radio. So I think about two radio antennas and then when you're tuning in the radio and then moving the, uh, y'all, I don't, how old are y'all? We're, 33. We're close. 32. Okay. So y'all remember like the radios. <laughs> yeah. Remember yes. back in the day. 
way back when, way back when you had a boom box that had an <laughs> antenna that you would stick up and then you would adjust right. the dial. Validation is about mutual understanding and clarity. It's not about affirming or agreeing. And I think that's mm-hmm. a big misconception. And so if we think about, um, intrusive thoughts and how validation comes into play. I know that there are going to be some um, more ERP and OCD therapists that won't agree, especially if it's more rumination based OCD or um, obsessive OCD, like pure O that reassurance is almost like the, you know, like the drug of choice. And if we get clarity and understanding and contextualize what that intrusive thought is and make it a thing, like this intrusive thought is, and we identify it for what it is, then it's no longer this like mythical creature in our head. It's like an actual thing that can be adjusted or discarded mm-hmm. or investigated. Um, and so when it's I, less scary too. What do you mean? It's less scary when you oh. can just kind of, Oh yeah. I no. said it's scary too. I was like, it's scary. No, that's good. No, but I get what you're saying. No, it's less scary. Like when you can call it for what it is, like when you have a name for it, like you said, like at least your friend didn't know what intrusive thought was. Like, right. what is this? Like when you can say, you know, I'm having this thought that my car is going to, you know, combust, like that's, it's a thought and it yeah. becomes just less intimidating. Yeah. It stops being like who you are and it starts just being this outside thing of like, Oh, it's not me thinking that I'm having the thought that this, and if I remember that thoughts are not facts, like I can remember this is just its own thing. And this is just going to happen sometimes. And you can even do that. So Leah, like what you were talking about with the physical sensation, you can do that too. Of, um, and this is in radically open DBT. We call it the awareness continuum of like, I'm aware of the sensation of my chest getting tight or I'm aware of the sensation of my shoulders creeping up because now rather than that, Ooh, this is anxiety. We always say that like, Oh, this is anxiety or this is my depression talking. And it's like, yes. And what is it actually saying? Like, what is your body actually doing? Because again, we're not, we, sometimes we might be a little crazy. Um, (laughs) but a lot of times we're really here and what we're describing is real. And what's going on is an experience. So like our thoughts are experiential occurrences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they're a lot faster than we want them to be because we end up holding on to them because we want to validate it. Mm -hmm. And so if we were fighting it so long, so we're like tethered to it. Yes. Like a slave to them. Cause you're just like, I can't like, and it's like, there's the guilt and the shame. It's like the biggest cycle. I have a question though. So you said, so I want to kind of understand this um, as far as like the body, like kind of not saying it's the anxiety. How would you have, like, what would tell me kind of, could you break that down? What that would look yeah. like if like you have like a tightness in your chest, like what someone would say? Yeah. So like, my friend, or my friend, <laughs> for, I'm asking for a friend here. <laughs> so if we think about the awareness continuum, what we're doing, it's, um, it's a mindfulness what skill and so what skills are what we're mindful of how is like the mindset behind it so if you look in standard dbt or radically open dbt they both have their own sets of those skills when we do the awareness continuum it's combining observe and describe together so if i'm having anxiety and let's just imagine we're at brunch and all of a sudden i get a phone call or a text message that says we need to talk and i'm like oh i'm anxious and you're like well what's going on i'm like i'm just anxious like how many times do we do that? And like, if you see, if y'all are observing this, 
I'm clenching my chest and my shoulders are getting tight. So if I wanted to break that down, like in a therapy room or, you know, mentally, I was like, I'm aware of the ten I'm aware of the sensation of my shoulders rising up. I'm aware of tension in my chest. I'm aware of my breath tightening up. I'm aware of, and do y'all see how it's already slowing down? Mm-hmm. Cause we're not going to the why or the because mm-hmm. we're just identifying what's going on. And if you think about it in that moment, I'm refocusing from the content of my thought because I'm stuck. Like where you're saying I'm at first I'm tethered to that thought. I'm anxious. And so then I'm still living between my two ears. I'm still tethered up there instead of actually grounding myself and realizing, Oh, it's there's tension in my shoulders. And then if I'm now tuning into my body at some point, I'm going to have to take a breath and I'm going to have to continue observing. And I'm not going into rationalizing or fixing it. I'm just hearing that. And eventually, it's very grounding. It's then. extremely grounding and it's great. Yeah. I love that. And honestly, I haven't heard that before. I haven't heard this. I mean, it's very comparable, right? To that I'm having the thought that I'm aware that. And I'm wondering do you feel that it's necessary for somebody to then identify a trigger every single time that they're experiencing anxiety. Like if you're talking about the what that they're experiencing, how important is the why? That's a good question. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Finding the why in the moment is just going to keep you tethered. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, like as a, like my clinical perspective is that it's good to get to a, a place of observation. If finding, if figuring out the trigger in the moment could be helpful. Maybe sometimes it is of like, Oh, what triggered that? But if we go to, um, there's another skill in RODBT called self-inquiry. Like, so let's say I got that. Let's talk. And I had that moment of panic and I talk it out with y'all and I'm, I reconnect and we're able to have fun at brunch. And then I go back and I like text, you know, the friend and say, cool, we can talk later. Like, what do you need to talk about? And they say, Oh, I just want to talk about our vacation next week. You know, Mm -hmm. going back and if I want to go back and get some more data or approach it with curiosity. So rather than like why in a demanding way, looking back at the why in a more investigative way of like, what was going on? Like, where did I get the idea that the text let's talk means something bad's going to happen? And if I spend a few minutes, cause we don't want to find the answer, but if we just look at stuff with curiosity, um, in RODBT, we call it self-inquiry. But if we think about any of our more mindfulness-based models, it's looking at something with curiosity and collecting data and getting possibilities. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to start seeing there's a lot of common themes to our triggers. We're going to start seeing that we have common things come up and we can begin repairing that. I guess what I'm saying is finding out the why in the moment doesn't matter. Reflecting on the why in a curious state can give us information of how to cope with it further. And I like, I think what made that so helpful for all people listening and myself is that when you're finding, when you're coming across this later with curiosity and sitting back and saying like, what was going on? You're not going to, well, my friend texts me and said, we need to talk and that's the trigger. Cause it's not, you have to be curious more than that of like the deeper level, like what's underneath the soil 
because like you said, if other triggers are coming up later, you'll probably start to notice a theme of like, this is coming back to this core belief or this, whatever that might be. So that's mm -hmm. probably really helpful for people. Cause yeah, you could technically say in a black and white way, like the, the trigger was that text, but what about that text? Right. Yes. And I will say the self-compassion stuff is what got me into this idea of mindfulness and non-judgment and curiosity mm -hmm. because that's like the, just like not putting weight on it. Like the investigative is being really objective. And I wanted to say too, though, well, and so I do a lot of trauma work and triggers are important in that we can identify kind of like, you know, it's like the golden thread of like, what's the underlying core belief that trickles down to, you know, all these triggers or stressful experiences related to the trauma or complex trauma. So it's interesting because I, yeah, in the moment you need to stabilize, but mm -hmm. I also do feel like in a non-judgmental way, it is helpful to identify the why so you can do that trauma work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that why can be done if you do the why more so in reflection. Mm -hmm. I always say like a lot of people want to fix everything in the moment. That's, that's way too hard to do. But if you start with, reflecting on your day. Like, so even if you just take like a daily inventory and think, okay, what triggered me today? Then the more acquainted you get with those triggers, then at that point, you'll be able to notice what's happening in the moment. Mm. And so we almost, I don't think it's reverse engineering. I don't think that's the right term, but we're almost starting with reflection and inventory taking and not being so focused on fixing immediately. So then the more that we have data, we don't have to have all of it, but the more comfortable we get with sitting in those moments, instead of trying to automatically regulate, we can get more information to where we have more resources in the moment of like, oh, this has happened a few times. I'm realizing that this particular text message or this intersection tends to be, a, it's a common trigger, but mm -hmm. automatically wanting to fix it in the moment, I don't think does us right. justice because then we're fixing a lot of things that really aren't the problem there. Well, and I even go to like this, the piece of really when we're experiencing anxiety, like that thinking part of our brain isn't even on anyways. Like you're just having yeah. a response. Like I always crack up at sometimes when I have like students having panic attacks and I end up going into the office and like people are like, yeah, I told them to breathe. And I'm like, yeah, no, they can't. They're not hearing you. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, um, but it just reminds me of that. Like we have to regulate first and you're not, if you're sitting there trying to figure out the why and you're not even fully regulated or like distance enough to even be able to go there, it's not going to work. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, if you're more, and this goes into a whole thing of like, if you're more on the under controlled side, I'm very under controlled. Like I'm very expressive. I have to go from a 10 to to a seven all the time. I'm always at a 10. I've got to calm down. The over-controlled side of coping and temperament, that's what I love working with. Oftentimes they have the discomfort and they shut down and then it all just like implodes everywhere. And so when you talk about regulating, if you're the type of person that over-regulates, you just have to not shut. Your goal is to not shut down, but to experience that discomfort within a bigger window. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you're always at a 10, if you learn to lower your window and not go from a 10 to a two, but to sit in that like three to seven range and not freak out either way, if you're an over or under controlled person sitting in that middle and realizing that you can still do your way through anxiety is a game changer. Yeah.
I think people want to like, I think about driving yeah. and if you're like trying to dodge everything all the time, you're going to run off the road. And yeah. I think that's what happens with anxiety is that we're trying to avoid the discomfort at all costs and it fucks us up. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, this is Elise. Do you struggle with symptoms of anxiety, depression, or just feel like your mental health is totally struggling right now? If so, you're definitely not alone. I personally have struggled with my own mental health challenges around trauma and anxiety. And during different challenging times and life transitions, or just for no reason at all, it's so helpful to talk to a therapist to help you navigate your experiences and manage your symptoms. BetterHelp is a therapy platform that will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed mental health professional that you can communicate with in under 48 hours. It's a service that's available to anyone anywhere, and you'll be able to log into your account and send a message to your provider anytime that you need to. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response, plus you can start scheduling weekly video or phone sessions. I personally have always preferred therapy in this way because it makes it so much more convenient with the busy schedule. Having a good fit with a therapist also makes all the difference, which is why I love that BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and they'll help make it easy and free of charge to change therapists if you need to. Visit betterhelp.com slash basic influencers, that's better H-E-L-P, and start the journey that you deserve. Lastly, BetterHelp is giving a special offer for Not Your Basic Influencers listeners where you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash basic influencers. You can find the link in our show notes. A therapist, a therapist told me, and I really like this example of it, like a playing a tug of war and with yourself. And so his thing was like, just drop the rope <laughs> to his client. And I love that because like when you're fighting it, like you're just fighting yourself. Yeah. And the anxiety, I mean, it's, it just, it, it exacerbates it. Right. It becomes like bigger and bigger and bigger. And so just the idea of dropping the rope and like, like taking that. a step back. I know I've loved it. And I've, a lot of clients, I think it resonates with them because it's just so tiring. Like anxiety is so tiring. I don't think people realize like it's really, it seems like high energy, but it's just so freaking exhausting. Yeah. The amount of things that you have to do. And I think this is, if we talk about women in mental health, what's so difficult for women and anxiety um, or any, any sort of mental health issue is that women typically develop these, the, the fancy words, compensatory strategies, but women typically fly under the radar with stuff because it's so internal mm -hmm. and it's like that redoing work or stretching themselves or over serving or masking so much masking goes on they're like, well, you're doing fine. Like, but you don't know the, the cost of my fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like the overfunction that we've talked about. It's just like, yeah. Lauren, I just feel like you came here to like put Leah and I on blast on everything we do. <laughs> I've been calling y'all out all week. <laughs> well, it also takes one to know one. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and that's why, but I love that. Like, I love that we are talking about this. I like that you're so open about it too. And I think that's why I appreciate it. Cause a lot of the content you share is, it's not just all about you, but like you really understand it. And that's yeah. the thing is I think people struggle when therapists don't understand or like really can't understand it. And even if they haven't experienced it quite themselves, if you really can understand the pain, it just helps so much. Yeah. And I don't know, you can be more trusted as a provider. I feel like that means yeah. a lot. Cause I'm not trying to say that I'm like this therapist mental, like do everything that I do. I, I never want to come across that way, but I think lived experience means a lot, especially as we 
push for more transparency and the the stoic like there's nothing wrong with psycho like dynamic theory like that's just not my jam i'm too opinionated and too nosy um to like sit back but i think i genuinely think that when people choose a mental health provider they want a relationship Mm -hmm. and but one within the confines like you want to like your therapist i know that sounds really weird but like you no you almost kind of like it's not ethical to have a drink with your therapist but you would you want to get to that level of comfort to where you know it's not a friend but it's somebody that's like because if you think about us as therapists we're investing in them too yeah and we want to like our clients too and if they're doing something (laughs) that makes them unlikable we need to have enough rapport to say like, Hey, what you're doing right now is making me not like you in the nicest way possible. Right. Well, no, I think you're right. Like to be able to align where they trust you to provide feedback. That's not by any means meant to break them down. Right. But like that, I mean, therapy is not about us saying you're right. You're right. You're right. Like that's not the, and I think some people go into that thinking that, but I think if you have a good rapport, you're able to challenge things. Right. And yeah, I, I agree. One hundred percent. Um, before, well, we kind of talked about these techniques. Um, are there any other techniques that we haven't talked about that you feel like, or your go-to kind of tools that you use with your clients for intrusive thoughts? Sure. And I'll kind of break down like, so some of the things that we've talked about in here, there's act diffusion. So that's that I'm aware of the thought that, so if you just look at act diffusion, there's a ton. Um, cause I'm aware of the thought that it's just one diffusion skill. Other diffusion skills I love is like where you start singing your thoughts um, or saying them in a slow voice of like, I'm not good enough. And it just makes it sound dumb as hell because the thought is probably dumb (laughs) as hell. Um, I love. That's funny. Yeah. And you do that in session and like, it sounds, it sounds nuts. But even if we think about this on a physiological level too, if we give ourselves permission to be a little silly, yeah. especially for us as adults, again, that's a, that's a game changer because we're so we're trying to be like professional, like not just therapists, but like adults, we're trying to like have our shit together and all this stuff. And if we let ourselves be messy, that not only rewires our brain, it rewires our body to be comfortable with threat and to be comfortable with like, yeah, loosening up a little bit. So yeah sounding out thoughts, singing out thoughts, um, the awareness continuum, that's a radically open DBT skill. Um, it's a, there's a full lesson. Um, I think it's lesson 12 in the book and their skills book, but it's, you're basically labeling your thoughts, your emotions, your mental images. So whatever mental images you have in sensations, and you basically just say, I'm aware of the thought that, and whatever that thought is period. Um, and you just bring up what comes mm-hmm. to mind. And then when your brain runs out, your brain runs out. Whenever mm-hmm. I practice, I often say like, I'm aware of the thought that I'm running out of thoughts. And mm-hmm. then at that point, my like breathing's down, my thoughts make more sense. Um, and then just curious. Can I ask you a question on that? Absolutely. Do you ever have somebody say, well, how can that help? Because I like, mm-hmm. and how do you explain that? Because I'm sure so many people are like, what, how is talking silly going to do that? How is doing this activity of like waiting till the thoughts run out? Like, how is that going to help with my intrusive thoughts? So can you explain what it's doing in the brain? Well, here's the thing. How's rumination helping? One, I'd be a smart ass back. Um, mm-hmm. 
And yeah, she, how's the other thing helping you? Yeah, like, how's that working? <laughs> <laughs> if I know, it's like, not well, bitch. Um, sorry, I had to, I had to throw no, a Real Housewives it. tagline. It had to be Dorinda for a second. Um, so when we think about <laughs> separating from it, how it's rewiring the brain is because we've all developed our survival strategies because they've served us at some point. So when we do things that are different, we're not just finding the exact opposite thing to do. We're finding possibilities of way to manage our skills. Um, and when I think about like, I am not smart enough to like fully articulate exactly what happens in the brain and the synapses and stuff. But if we think about it from a biological perspective, if you're activated in your threat system and you're super tight, by sounding it out, by activating different parts of your brain, it's going to activate that social safety system or the parasympathetic system to where mm -hmm. your brain's going to, your body's going to loosen up and signal to your brain that you're safe. That's essentially like, Hey, you just said, is. I'm not smart enough to explain it. And then you just explained it. Great. Well, because like people will be like, Oh, well there's the brain and then there's the synapse and all of that. And I'm like, yeah, let's yeah, just yeah. go nervous. Who explains it like that? I don't even, I couldn't even, that would just confuse me to sleep more and give me more anxiety. Yeah. Like I don't need to know what's firing in my brain. I just need to know like how to chill out. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So we really appreciate you. I feel like I actually learned a ton and yeah, wasn't necessarily anticipating that. Um, <laughs> I do want to have drinks with you and hang yes. out. Like you just seem like that. so much fun. And I think our conversations would be great. Um, Especially we will not record those. those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We will leave that unrecorded. So we always like to ask our guests this, but who are you outside Lauren, the relatable therapist? Oh gosh. I know pressure. Uh, because like, I'll be honest with you. I am really authentic on there, but out like, I guess like when you say like, who are you? I mean, that I know is open-ended for a reason. See now I'm like, Oh, what's the best answer? My perfectionism is coming out. I mean, I, there are no wrong answers. Yeah. There's not. Ugh. I think that I am, and I know you're gonna have to edit this cause this is like taking forever, but let my brain think for a second. I kind of like that. We are, I think we should include this. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> but don't mess up either. You know, um, I think I'm just a person that's figuring out how to, I'm still trying to understand this world. So I think I'm just a person that's trying to figure shit out. And, um, and I'm like, I'm oddly getting like emotional because it's like all these things come up at once, but I think I'm just trying to figure out life on my own terms. Mm. I think that's really what I am. It's just a person trying to figure out life on my own terms and how to, um, how to be content. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's why I was like, Oh, all these thoughts, ADHD brain just like was in full effect of like, I'm like a Bravo super fan. I'm like, <laughs> I am too. So the fact that you quoted Dorinda was just like music to my ears. It's like, it's sad how like I'll full disclosure, since we're all like all BFFs now, there was a real housewives episode, real housewives of orange County. It was, I think Gretchen was like crying in the back of a limo about how she felt so disconnected from her partner. And that was like a game changer. I like changed my life after I was like, I feel you so much. And I just like broke up with a dude and everything. It was weird. <laughs> Wait, I have to show you this. Okay. Is that, 
Yes. So I'm okay, showing, for everybody. Oh yeah, go ahead, Leah. Explain what you're no, showing. You can, so it's a New York Housewives coloring book. Oh my god, and it's fascinating. I don't think I have. I, I I've given some as gifts. Not sure that people want it, but like, oh, amazing, <laughs> so amazing. It's. I need to my, get that for my friends. I'm obsessed, and it's helped me like, especially during some of the phone sessions. Like, it's like my grounding is like the coloring books, and I found that one. I was like, yes, like this is. Anyways. I'm glad nothing, we can. Literally nothing plays more into the, like our podcast title and like who we are being basic than like when we talk about real wives, real housewives of whatever and the bachelor and all these other things that make us so basic. So it just. And I'm drinking right a Pellegrino as we're speaking. Like, <laughs> Where's my Starbucks? I know. Just, just popping Pellies and talking about Bravo. Popping like Pellies. Love it. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank yeah. you, Lauren. Good to see y'all.